Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is Inside Out. Inside Out. Um, I wonder if you've ever had this experience where um, you, you, there was somebody that you knew and you'd spent a lot of time around them and then all of a sudden you saw them in a different light. You saw them do something that you've never seen them do before and you realized this person had an insane hidden skill that just to be honest, just to be real, did not look like they would have that particular skill, right? They just didn't look the part of the thing that you discovered they were able to do. Um, I, I've had this experience a handful of times. Uh, one specifically, a couple years ago, uh, I was at a campus pastor retreat uh, with a, a few of the guys who run the different campuses here at South Hills. And uh, this is all of us standing around trying to figure out how to take a photo together. And um, one of the things that we did on this trip, like uh, in the midst of our meetings and things like that, um, some of you guys know Pastor Moses is a big sports fan. And he's like, we should all play pick up basketball, all of us, the campus pastors. And uh, I'm not really sure what his goal was for this. Usually when you put a bunch of 40 and 50-year-olds together and make them play active sports, uh, I mean, you should be filming it because if somebody's going to blow out a knee. I mean, it's going to get weird, right? And so we, we, we kind of set it all up. We're picking teams. Um, I, got, I got picked towards the top just because I'm tall. That was a mistake on their part. They learned that very quickly. I have no athletic prowess. Uh, and then um, one of the guys that got picked last is the guy who's standing next to me with this hand on my shoulder. His name is Randy. He's one of my best friends. And the team that finally did pick him realized they had the sleeper pick of the day. Because I'm telling you, this guy does not look athletic, okay? Um, he, like, and he would tell you that, right? But he was draining threes. Like, he couldn't miss. He ended up being the Steph Curry of the campus pastors, like, I mean, just shots where you're just like, no one could make that shot and he's doing it. But even what made that even more incredible was the speed at which he was running up and down the court. I mean, like I was winded. I couldn't like, do, like we're all out of shape. Randy is sprinting up and down the court. He's getting rebounds. And I'm just like, how is your vertical that high? Okay. And we're all confused and we're staring at him. We don't know how it's possible. Finally, uh, uh, Pastor Moses, and if you know him, he's, he's very blunt, sometimes in an embarrassing sort of way. And he was just like, how is this happening, Randy? Okay, it doesn't look like you should be that good. And Randy was like, ah, I get it. Is it because I'm chubby? And uh, we're all, all the rest of us are kind of like, no, that's not. And Moses was like, yes, that is exactly what it is. How is this possible? And we're all kind of laughing and Randy's just like, listen, I, you know, I used to play in high school. Like I, I play, still play pickup games. I shoot uh, like, you know, baskets in my driveway, like almost every day. And so I've just gotten good at it. And we're like, that explains half of it. What is the deal with your lung capacity and your ability to run up and down the court? And he's like, well, you know, for the past few years, I've been running like, you know, three to four miles a day. And we're all like, what? I mean, that's what you would have thought in this situation. And he's like, again, he goes, I know you don't think that's true. It's probably again, because I'm chubby. And now we're all like, yes, that is why. And he's like, I also like tacos. And we're like, that's what it is. That's the counterbalance. He's like, I like to kind of, you know, measure it out. 
You know, I'm not going to not enjoy my life because I need to run. He's like, I'm actually in great cardiovascular shape. And we're like, congratulations. Also, pick that guy first next time. We were blown away. Couldn't believe it. And I wonder if you've ever had a situation like this before where, you know, you found out something about someone and you just did not see that in the cards for them, right? You know, somebody who is always like, they, they drive this old beat up car and like, they're always like calculating how to split the bill, bill uh, over lunch down to the greatest detail. And then eventually they invite you over to their house and you're, you're there. And by the time you get to the third security gate, you're like, what in the world is happening? How, you live here? How, how, how come you making me pay for half a lunch if you're living here? And they're like, that's how I live here. Okay. Been pulling this for a long period of time. Right. I've had other people in my life that are just like, you know, they didn't really seem like the in-shape type of people. And then we go to do something on a move day and they're just like throw a whole couch over their shoulder and you're like, what in the world? And then you find out, you know, they've, they've been doing CrossFit like every day. And, and all of a sudden you realize there's this whole set of things that you've been doing when you're not with me that have like created this, this trait within you. And I think we all have these moments where when we're surprised by a skill or an ability that someone has that we just didn't really see in the cards, we want to know how. How is this possible? And I think if we dig down below the surface, what we often find is is some hidden habit that enabled them to over time get strong in an area where we're weak. And the reality is, is something that you already know, right, is that appearances are deceptive, right? Because ability is developed through discipline. And we don't always get to see what people are doing behind the scenes, what people are doing on a day-to-day basis. And we sort of get this idea on a, a physical level, right? We realize that if you exercise over time, like you build strength and muscle and, and you build lung capacity. But oftentimes we don't understand that this principle carries over to the spiritual aspects of life. There's this really interesting uh, piece of advice that the Apostle Paul is one of the first Christians. He's writing to this kid that he's mentoring, Timothy, and he gives him this piece of advice that's so profound. He says uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, that physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Now, what does that mean? Essentially, he's saying that, you know, of of course we know that we need to take care of our bodies, right? That we, need to, that we need to watch what we eat and we need to exercise and we need to make sure that we are healthy because if we don't take care of our bodies over time, our bodies will betray us. And in fact, your spirit works much the same way. You've got to train your spirit to be healthy. And in fact, it's, it's more important, more significant than the training that we do or how health conscious we are when it comes to our bodies. And it's, it's absolutely essential. And maybe you've never thought about this idea of training your spirit before, but you've seen the effects of someone who does it, right? Maybe you've had that mentor that when you just feel lost and you sit down with them and you ask them about, they always seem to have something wise to say. And you're like, where does this depth of knowledge come from? Or maybe like they're this person that like no matter what sort of chaotic thing is going on in their life, they have this supernatural sense of calm. And it's not that they're emotionless, but like that they don't completely fall apart in a moment where the world is falling apart. Maybe it's some person in your life who has 
this insane ability to be positive and generous in every situation. And it, I mean, if you can only invite a couple of people to come be a part of what you're doing, you're like, bring them, okay? Because they just, they lift the room. They lift the environment. They make me feel like I wanna be a better person. How does this happen? I think when you dig below the surface of these people's lives, people who seem to have this sort of spiritual stamina that maybe you don't necessarily possess, what you find is a series of hidden habits that have strengthened that side of them as well. And there is a, a nickname for these types of habits. They're called spiritual disciplines or sometimes spiritual practices because they're things that we have to practice, that we have to repeat over and over again. They're the way that we train ourselves for godliness. It's how we strengthen our spirit. And uh, there's a renowned Christian author named Richard Foster who wrote in depth about the spiritual disciplines and sort of summarized them for a modern age. And he separates the spiritual disciplines into three categories. And over these next few weeks, we're going to just sort of unpack these categories one at a time and talk about what are these things and how do we do them and why are they significant and how do we get going on them? And he breaks them into the category of inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and corporate disciplines. And this is what we're gonna sort of comb through over the next few weeks. And we're gonna start with inward disciplines for a couple of reasons. One, they're the first on the list. So it just seemed like it made sense. But also uh, uh, like a more logical foundational reason than that is that there seems to be this idea in scripture over and over and over again that's repeated in both the Old and New Testament that everything you do is a result of what's going on inside of you. Even if you're not aware of it, that your thoughts and your attitudes and uh, your inner monologue, that these things are driving who you are, that your internal beliefs are driving your external behavior. And so if there's one thing that you really wanna get right, it is the organizing your interior world. It's, it's figuring out how to make your heart healthy. Um, Jesus said it this way in, in Luke chapter six, verse 45. He said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. What you do flows from what's in your heart. Anything on the outside is an outpouring of what is going on on the inside. We don't always wanna believe that that's true and yet it is. You ever have a moment where, you just sort of snap and you, you say something crazy or you do something crazy and you're like, oh, I don't know where that came from, right? And other people are like, I do, right? Like, they're like, something is going on in there, right? And this is what Jesus would say, that like when, when somebody surprises us with this depth of, uh, of kindness, with this depth of grace, with this depth of generosity, it's because it, it, it exists somewhere inside of them. And when what pours out of us in certain moments is, is not those things, it's because it was lurking in there the whole time. And in fact, this idea of, of training for godliness, of really taking care of the way we think and feel on the inside is so significant that even Jesus prioritized it. It says this multiple times throughout um, these biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, but I love the, the way it says it here, Luke chapter five, verse 16. 
says, as often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. Now, it says something like this many, many times in the New Testament, but think about this for a minute, that God, God himself, that when he came to earth and took on human form, that even he had to, because living in the world is so complex and complicated, and there's so much temptation that, that is swirling around us at all times, that even God himself had to insert and regularly practice a rhythm of taking care of his heart and mind so that he wouldn't be drug off track. He knew that like, if he didn't take care of the way that he thought and the attitudes and the, the, the things going on inside of him, that it would tank all of his actions and all the people connected to him. And I, I got to tell you, like, this may be a bold statement. I think Jesus is more spiritual than you, okay? And so if Jesus needed to do this in order to keep his life on track, how much more do you and I need to do this in order to keep our lives on track? And what did he do? Like, he would peel off, and again and again, often early in the morning, he would take time to, to, to fast and to pray and to meditate and to study the, the inward disciplines. And inside of the, the Christian tradition, um, this has long been called a devotional practice, right? Like uh, setting aside a time regularly to commit yourself to inward disciplines. And so I wanna talk about uh, what these things are. There's four of them that uh, Dr. Richard Foster outlines um, in his book, Celebration of Discipline. And um, I wanna talk about what these things are and what they mean and how to do them and, and what they do to you when you prioritize them in your life. And, and the first one is praying, which I would define, the easiest definition is that it is focusing on, talking to, and listening for God. Focusing on, talking to, and listening for God. It, it, in other words, it's a relational exchange. It's a conversation. And the reason that, that keeping up this conversation is so essential is that keeping your life connected to God on the deepest of levels is what keeps you spiritually healthy. And it's hard to have a meaningful connection with someone without having regular conversations with that someone, right? And that's true in every relationship that we have, including our relationship with God. Imagine like the core relationships in your life if you never really talked to that person, like how deep and connected and committed and intimate that relationship would feel. Probably not, right? It would feel like you were just sort of strangers coexisting. Or imagine if it was the other way around, right? If all you did was talk in the relationship, but you never listened to them. You never asked any questions. You never just sat and took in what they had to say. Um, that'd be a one-sided relationship. And ultimately, this is what God wants with us is a relationship. And maybe you agree with this idea that like there's gotta be some sort of regular conversation happening, but maybe you have the same issue that a lot of people end up having um, when it comes to prayer. It's like, I, I want to talk and listen to God, but like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> you ever panic when somebody calls on you to pray because you're like, I don't know what to do. Uh, and so you just, you, you, you kind of like, you're just like, God, help us to have a good day and um, bless this food into our bodies. I don't know. Uh, 
hedge of protection uh, with liberty and justice for all. I don't know. I don't know what to say, right? We feel confused. And, and part of it is because if we don't have a, a pr- an ongoing practice, sometimes we don't know how to get started. But I, I don't think this is something that we should feel ashamed or embarrassed by. Even sometimes really close relationships, we can hit a conversational lull. And this is why we need, on occasion, prompts to get the conversation going. This is why, even though people may be in a growth group and they may like each other and be in a similar stage of life, uh, we don't just throw them in a room and are like, good luck, right? We give them like some starter questions to get them going. This is why maybe even on a date that you've been on with maybe the person that you've been married to for a long period of time, you still find yourself doing a Facebook quiz. You're like, what kind of nut are you? <gasps> You're an almond. I really, I saw you as really something different, maybe pistachio, but like, wow, this is so interesting. And now you're going down this whole rabbit hole of conversation because you needed something to sort of get things going. And I think sometimes is the case in our relationship with God as well. It's not that we don't know what to say or we don't have anything to say. It's that we don't know how to get the ball rolling. And one of the things that I found helpful are these categories of prayer um, that uh, writer, spiritual writer Anne Lamont uh, talks about in, in her book, uh, Help Thanks Wow. And she just gave you the categories in the title, right? These are the three main categories of prayer that she talks about. And she just sort of minimizes them to these subject matters of help, thanks, wow. Help being an admission of our need for God. Like, God, I need you in every imaginable way. It's those moments where we're just like, God, if you don't come in and do something in the situation, like, it's all over. I can't do it on my own. Then there's these, these thanks prayers, right? This is the piece of the conversation with God where we're just exp- expressing our gratitude for his grace in our life, right? That every good thing that we have in life comes from God. The breath in our lungs, the family that we have, the connectivity, the money, the resources, the ability to the skills we have to navigate life, right? And just being appreciative and grateful for those things in conversation with God. And then there are these wow prayers, right? Which is all over the greatness of God. And this is just these moments of, man, God, you are so big and so expansive and so creative. God, you, your grace and love is unending. Your forgiveness is everlasting. It's just being wowed and in awe of who God is. And I like these categories as opposed to sort of following a formula because ultimately prayer isn't about saying certain words as much as it's about letting certain truths sink in and take root in the soil of your soul. Prayer isn't about us convincing God to act on our preferences as much as him helping us to see from his perspective. Um, I I know people oftentimes that are just like, I don't really pray much anymore because it doesn't work. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And they're like, God does not do what I tell him to. And I'm like, you know what? That happens to me too, right? But that's not really a reason to abandon a relational conversation, right? How often does this happen in all of your other relationships, right? Right? We're like, I'm not talking to my wife anymore because every time I talk to her, she doesn't do what I tell her to do, right? You end up out of that relationship real quick, right? This isn't the way that relational dynamics work. There's a back and forth. There's an ebb and flow. And in fact, God is a being that's so much higher than us in the way that he thinks and acts and his perspective in life that the biggest thing we can get out of it is not like pleading with him to do things the way we want them done, but inviting him to open our, our mind and our thoughts to see the world as he sees it and, 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 and show us how to take the next steps moving forward. 
Um, the way Jesus tells his disciples to pray in what's known as the Lord's Prayer is he tells us to say, like, um, thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's sort of this, this, this humbling, right? This thing of like, God, I am looking at the world around me. I'm looking at my life, my circumstances, my situation. And I, I think I know what the right thing to do is, but like, you know things I don't know. You see things I don't see. God, show me how you see me. Show me how you see the people around me. Show me how you see the situation. Align my heart with yours. And then give me the ability and the courage to sync my actions with your preferences, not mine. There's a powerful thing that happens in prayer when we understand uh, this to be the ultimate purpose of it. Maybe you're wondering, like, that's great, but, like, how, how else can we know, like, what God thinks and what he wants and what his preferences are and how he relates to people? And we do this by, um, by studying God's word. And this brings us to the, the next or the second of the, the, the inward spiritual disciplines, what I would call studying, uh, studying scripture or Bible study, right? And studying is contextualizing what scripture meant in its original time and place so that we can comprehend what it means to accurately apply it in ours, right? The, the point of scripture isn't just to like sort of read it and know it, but to put it into practice. Um, and this is where I think the, like a lot of people experience a disconnect in modern Christianity where we, we read certain things, but we don't live as if they're actually true. Or maybe we don't know what about it is true because we haven't done the homework to put it into context. And context is everything. Don't you hate being taken out of context, right? Have you ever just fired off a text before and then you read it back and you're like, whoop, that substituted the wrong word. That is uncomfortable. Like that's, that changes the whole sentence, right? Uh, that, that moves everything around, right? Or maybe you, you, they, didn't, they couldn't read the tone or, or kind of the way that you were jokingly saying something and they took it seriously and it just changed everything. Now, that can be true today of us all on a level playing field in the same culture, but you're talking about interpreting things from past cultures, spoken in different languages, with different sets of you know, uh, governmental expectations and economic situations and customs and things like that. There's a huge need for us to place these things into context so that we can know how to live it out in the here and now. And you know, I always encourage people to study scripture, not just to read scripture. And the reason why I make that distinction is because, at least in my mind, reading scripture is about recognizing what the Bible says, but studying scripture is about wrestling with the, what the Bible means. The Bible says a lot of things, but what does it mean by what it says? And if we don't really delve in and try and wrestle with what's going on then, then we don't know what it's saying to us now. This is one of the most essential things when studying Scripture, And this is why so much of our time together when you come to church here involves preaching, right? Which is essentially Bible study where we open Scripture and we ask questions about God and life and ourselves. And we look to the Scripture for answers and we sort of slow down and we say like, okay, what's going on at that time in history? And man, that word doesn't translate really well into English. What does it actually mean? And I know in our culture, if someone did this, it would be super weird, but Here's a piece of the way their culture functioned and their customs worked that would have made this seem normal or maybe out of place in a way that it doesn't now because we can uncover meanings then that shape what we need to do with it 
now. And as Christians, you know, we believe that all of Scripture is to be interpreted through the lens of Jesus, that all of Scripture is pointing to God coming to earth as a human in order to sacrifice himself for us, but also to show us how to live, to, to impart to us divine wisdom and to model for us what it looks like to live life to the full in a really complex world. And this means we need to, we need to spend a disproportionate amount of our time sort of analyzing and unpacking the words and actions of Jesus in particular. Because the purpose of studying scripture is to internalize and to emulate the way Jesus thought, talked, lived, and treated people. This means that we all know people that like count themselves as religious and they have memorized so much scripture and you're like, congratulations, you are so mean, right? It's like, I don't know if it's working, right? You know so much stuff and you use it to just be mean to everyone all of the time. Right? It is sort of missing the point of study, which isn't to leverage our knowledge to hurt or hold down or abuse or limit other people, but like to leverage everything we know about God to actually uh, put into practice a lifestyle that looks like Jesus. And when we study the way of Jesus, we get clues on how to do this. But I would tell you that like there is so much information and uh, so much like happening in the world and so much flying at you on a consistent basis that if the whole goal of the Christian life is to emulate the way Jesus thought, talked, lived and treated people, if the only time you're having an interaction with what it means to do that is just like a half hour on a Sunday when I'm talking to you, right? And you're sort of checking football scores on your phone as it's happening, it's not gonna be enough to actually forge a path ahead that reflects Jesus. It's just gonna reflect whatever it is you're pouring into yourself most often. And that's why for a lot of us, our decision-making, our way of being comes more through the news channels that we adhere to, right? Or the television shows that we're watching or the blogs that we like, as opposed to looking like and modeling the way of Jesus. We're gonna have to actually, if we wanna make this priority in our life, take time consistently to sit with God and allow him to reshape the way that we think, to renew our minds. Which brings us to this, this third idea, uh, meditation. And this is the one that, that always makes old timers real nervous because they're like, that sounds new agey. I don't know about that, right? So let me explain what this is. Medi meditating is slowing down, pulling away, and remaining still in order to fully focus on God. Now, you may have noticed in our, in our culture that this is like a massive trend now, right? Where it's like everyone's meditating. Uh, people, like there's meditation apps. Atheists are putting out meditation apps, right? And it just seems like it's everywhere. And so I wanna make a distinction between um, sort of maybe typical or popularized Eastern meditation and the practice of Christian meditation that has existed ever since the Old Testament, right? Um, Eastern meditation really revolves around the, an attempt to empty the mind of everything. But Christian meditation revolves around this attempt to fill the mind with the right things. It's, it's a different sort of a practice, I think one of the, the, the best instructive verses on meditation in the New Testament is a verse you may have heard before. It's Philippians 4, 8, in, in which the author says, fix your thoughts 
on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What is he saying? You need to consistently meditate on what God says is true. And why would we need to do this? Why do we need to fix or focus our thoughts? Because they drift. And because whatever we like feed our mind, it just like sort of chews up and spits back out. And so if all we're taking in is just the world around us and everything that's going on around us, like that is what is going to spill out of us. Like we're being bombarded with information all of the time that pushes our fear buttons and our frustration buttons and our worry buttons. And the noisier and busier our world becomes, the more this sort of meditation becomes important. Pushing pause on everything else, every other input, and focusing in on who God is and what God says. Now, how do you do that? At its core, meditation it really boils down to focused thinking and breathing, right? Um, the, the, the key and really the difference between what I would consider Eastern and Christian meditation is what is it that you're focused on? Like, what is it you're focusing on in this moment, right? It's not like there's Christian breathing and non-Christian breathing, okay? It's not the way that it works, right? But like what we're focusing on in these moments shape our thoughts and ultimately our being in those moments. And there are all sorts of things you could focus on, right? Maybe it's a scripture that you wanna take root in your life. Maybe it's something that we read together in here that you're reading in your read every day plan. And you're like, man, I want to memorize that. I want that to take root in the soil of my soul. Like I, when, when, when things are going crazy in my life, that's the thing I want to pop into my head. Not this horrible thing that somebody said to me. Not this fearful thing that I read on Facebook. Like it's this scripture. And so I'm gonna sit and read it over and over again like a mantra and I'm gonna allow it to sink in. Maybe it's something that um, God says about you that you have trouble uh, believing about yourself. I, I wonder if like me, you, you are very aware at times that you say things to yourself that God would probably not say to you. Like that you beat yourself up inside your own mind. Uh, you say things to you that like you would not allow anyone to say to people that you actually love in your family. But you're like, this is how I talk to me, right? And maybe meditation for you looks like actually identifying how God sees you and echoing that, repeating that to yourself over and over and over again as you breathe slowly to take in what is real and true. Maybe it's a characteristic of who God is that is different than maybe how you were raised. Maybe you see God is like, he's always mad and angry and judgmental. And maybe it's just focusing on the grace and the forgiveness and the all-encompassing love of God to allow that to sink in to your soul. There's lots of different ways that you could do this. The big question is like, when are you set aside time, setting aside time to be untethered from technology and busyness and noise and music and TV and simply sit with God and allow his truth to sink deep into your soul? And then it leads us to this fourth one, which is fasting. It's everybody's favorite. Um, and fasting is essentially restricting food for a time in order to elevate spiritual needs over physical wants. And here's what I think is really fascinating about this. If you do the historical research um, on this, which you probably don't have time to do, um, but that's what I get to do and to present to you, right? Is you would discover that um, the, the ancients, all the way back to the Old Testament, um, they defined fasting as 
sort of the fundamental spiritual discipline to develop self-discipline. Like they're like, man, if you are only gonna input one thing, this is what you should practice. Um, because of its benefits in every area of your life. It's allowing like your regular impulses to arise and noting them and then denying them. It's realizing like, I want this and it's maybe not even necessarily a bad want. No, it's a way of us sort of reminding ourselves that we don't have to do everything our bodies tell us to do when they tell us to do it, how they tell us to do it. It's us exercising control of ourselves instead of us just being like a victim to every emotion, impulse that arises within us. This is a gift that the Spirit of God wants to give to us, and yet we have to partner with him to practice it to build up that muscle. At the same time, like, it's not a, it's not a weight loss program, okay? And some of us are like, yeah, fasting, totally. I'll just, because it's not just like, I'm not gonna eat these things for a while, and hopefully I'll lose a little bit of weight. It's not just not doing one thing. It's trading that time and energy for something else. Ultimately, um, fasting is taking the time and energy that you would have spent thinking about and planning and preparing and eating food and leveraging that time and energy to lean into God through prayer and study and meditation, right? It's, it's transferring all of that angst and energy and desire and focusing it in on God. And the way in which this strengthens us is exponential. But a lot of us don't want to do it because, you know, there are things we just don't want to take a break from. And I would tell you that if there's something that you can't ever imagine fasting from, it's probably the thing you should start fasting from. Because it means that it has a, like a hold of your life in a dependent way that you should really only be dependent on God. And a lot of times we, we don't want to address those things. And so we just sort of push it off, 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 off. Um, and... And yet fasting reveals to us a lot about us, right? We realize like, man, I'm addicted to that. Or man, that's become a big priority. Or like, that's what I count on to make me happy, not God and my connection with him. And it reveals to us maybe disordered priorities in our life. But taking breaks from certain things reminds us mentally and trains us physically that God is our priority, not our impulses and our urges. Um, and also not giving ourselves the food we want for a short season of time, it, it has benefits in our lives that have nothing to do with food. Um, it's a way of reminding ourselves that I can actually experience joy in life when I don't get what I want. Like I can actually not give myself what I want and still be happy. And part of the reason that we need to practice this is that we are automatically inclined to believe the opposite, right? If I don't get what I want, I can't be happy. And the benefit of strengthening this muscle inside of yourself is that eventually, right, somebody else is gonna not give us what we want. And when we've strengthened this muscle inside of ourselves, we have the ability to be strong enough to not freak out on them for not doing what we want, giving us what we want, being what we want. We have the ability to exercise self-control in our interactions with others. You see, the deciding when to say no to desires from the inside 
is the thing that strengthens us to say no to distractions from the outside. And some of us find ourselves falling in, in lots of areas in our lives because we don't have a habit of saying no to ourselves. And so anytime anybody else dangles something in front of us, we can't say no to that either. And in order to develop the strength, the spiritual strength, we have to practice the discipline of, of fasting. Um, and I would say, you know, there's all different sorts of fasts. There's like a pure water fast. There's fasting from just certain items, fasting for a whole season, for just a day, for just a meal, whatever it is. I would tell you this, the, the, the more difficult it is, the more powerful it is. The harder it is to say no to that thing, the more it stretches and strengthens you on a spiritual basis when you redirect that energy to God. And maybe as we're, we're sort of combing through these, you're noticing that there's a commonality between these practices. And I would say that that commonality is that, that these inward disciplines help us to deprioritize everything but connecting to and being directed by God. It helps us to constantly put God and our relationship with God as the top priority in our life. And I would tell you, like, maybe you're thinking like, man, it's, I don't think everybody does this. And you're right. Most people don't do this. I would also tell you, I don't know if you want to be like most people. Because most people that I come in contact with as a pastor are exhausted and anxious and aimless and fearful. I don't know that, that you want to copy what they're doing because I don't know if you want to get what they're getting. The way that, that, that Paul says it in Romans chapter 12, verse two, is he says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, the, the transformation of your mind isn't something that happens all at once. It's something that God does in you, but not without a partnership from you. It's something that happens slowly over time. And these disciplines are the path to get to that place. They're what regularly help us to realign our hearts and minds with God. Because if we do that, our words and our actions and our behaviors will follow. And the results are life the way it was meant to be lived. A depth of fullness life that exists on a level below the surface. And isn't this what you want? Like if you were able to fast forward your life ahead and think about the way people think about you, don't you wanna be seen as the person who always has something wise to say, no matter the situation? Don't you wanna be the person that like, when chaos is sort of swirling around everyone, there is a supernatural sense of calm that exudes from you, that comes from somewhere else. There's a silent strength to you that other people don't seem to possess. Like, isn't this what you want? Don't you, don't you want like to be the, the sort of person whose positivity and generosity is unending? That people are just like, I don't know who you're gonna include, but invite them, bring them, make sure they're here because they lift the room. Like they're so interested in the people around them. There is something about them that pumps life into the atmosphere. I don't know what it is. I don't know how they're doing it, but I want 
I want a piece of it. Training for godliness by exercising inward disciplines is how you become that kind of person. To echo what, what Paul says to Timothy, like spiritual training is essential. And it's essential because it doesn't just make your spiritual life better. It makes your whole life better. Because you don't have multiple lives. You are an integrated being. And when you take care of and strengthen your spirit, everything about you gets stronger. This is what God wants for you, which is why my advice to you would be moving forward during this season of your life to commit to a simple, obtainable, repeatable devotional rhythm in your life. To actually have a, a practice, a rhythmic practice where you prioritize the health of your inner world, where you spend time in prayer, where you spend time meditating, where you spend a window of time studying scripture and wrestling with what it means, where you take certain seasons and you fast things that have like a hold on your life that is disproportionate because it'll change you. In fact, this is the process through which God will transform and renew your mind. And why is that important? Because everything that you do out here is a result of what's going on in here and in here. And if you can allow God to grab hold of and to develop and to strengthen that part of you, everything else about you benefits. Everyone connected to you benefits. But you've got to invest. You've got to commit to the process. And that's what I'm gonna pray. I wanna pray that God would give you the courage to pursue him in that way this year in some small way. Maybe it's just five, 10 minutes a day, but it's an incremental discipline that makes you stronger. Would you bow your heads across this room? I wanna just pray this into your life today. God, for some of us, this is, this is a big step. This is something that we really haven't done, or maybe we used to do, we got out of the habit of doing. We just, we thought it was something that, you know, super spiritual, hyper spiritual pastors or monks do, but this is something that you have invited us all to do, to commit ourselves to you, to prioritize who you are and your perspective on life, to allow you to lead us and to guide us and God, I pray that we would prioritize disciplines in our life that elevate the health of our spirit. And God, that it would, it would transform us from the inside out. God, that even if it's just this small little reading one verse and praying out loud as we're driving to work, God, that we would be dogmatic about having a discipline in our life of putting you first day in and day out week in and week out. And God, we may begin weak, but the more we practice and train, the more you will strengthen us, the more you will grow our spirit. And God, may we become the people that you have designed us to be, giving life to the world around us because we are willing to submit to the process. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. 
We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.